Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 483 with Lucas Reeve of the Patio Marketplace. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you asked about that. These, these particular opportunities are, are, are different than a traditional restaurant because uh, in many cases, the real estate development companies are footing the bill for the build-out uh, or providing uh, some benefits ongoing as it relates to operating these spaces uh, from, a, from a financial P&L standpoint that are, are amazing. Uh, because the need for these amenities is so strong and there's so few people that are in this emerging market uh, that um, the, the benefits to, to building them and operating them are significant. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest, as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. There is no time to waste in the restaurant business, especially when an opportunity comes up and you need extra capital. Cabbage created a simple, flexible way to get a line of credit of up to $150,000, apply online, and get a decision right away. Withdraw funds when you need them without reapplying. Cabbage has helped over 100,000 small businesses. Get started at cabbage.com slash unstoppable you can get a $50 gift card when you qualify that's cabbage with a k line of credit is subject to credit approval c terms and conditions all cabbage business loans are issued by celtic bank a utah chartered industrial bank member fdic what's sorcery sorcery is ap automation digital invoicing time and money saved that's Sorcery. Sorcery allows you to streamline and digitize your entire accounts payable operation. Digital invoicing backed with human verification will save you countless hours of work and increase AP accuracy. Say goodbye to your file cabinets and enter the digital world. Go to getsorcery.com. That's G-E-T-S-O-U-R-C-E-R-Y.com or call 1-866-830-0691. And if you mention Restaurant Unstoppable, you will receive 10% off your first three months with no setup fees. With excitement, welcome back on the show. Today's guest, Lucas Reeve, my man, Lucas, are you feeling unstoppable today? Absolutely. Nice, dude. So Lucas Reeve serves as the VP of Brand Development for American National Investments, or ANI. ANI is a parent company that develops real estate and lifestyle brands, as well as holding the Patio Group under its umbrella. The Patio Group is a hospitality company with 12 restaurant brands and 23 brick-and-mortar locations throughout California. Lucas specifically focuses on new emerging verticals called corporate hospitality services. And uh, this is, like I said, Lucas's second time on the show. He was actually episode 056, which is crazy to think that that was like four years ago, Lucas, that you're on the show. But if you want to check out that episode and kind of get caught up uh, with Lucas's backstory and some of the values that he has, head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash zero five, six, and you can uh, get caught up there. Uh, but, uh, today we're going to kind of pick up where we left off and we're going to really dive into these verticals, these corporate hospitality services that you specialize in. But, you know, first let's get that motivational 
inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra what do you have for us absolutely yeah great to be back on the show with you uh it's a pleasure to uh to be here uh, talking with you and sharing with the, the guests. I've been following along the podcast for years. It's uh, incredible the evolution that you've gone through, and it's been exciting to kind of see that along the way. And uh, actually, before the podcast, as part of prep, I was kind of going back and listening to that older podcast as I well. I was too. <laughs> yeah. It's great to kind of see where you were at four years ago, get that little snapshot, that little segment of time that's uh, forever out there and sort of see how we both grown and it's, oh, uh, it's exciting. We're both in different places and <clears throat> loving life. I'm sure. I don't know. It was probably less painful for you, but it was pretty painful for me to listen to that interview just because I've, I've done over 400 interviews since, and I still have a, a lot of room to grow, but I feel like I've come a long way, uh, which is, it's just kind of funny. Uh, but yeah, man. So, uh, a lot has happened in your life. Uh, at, when we last spoke, you were the director of operations, the first director of operations I ever had on the show, and it was a really cool mm-hmm. perspective. Uh, the patio group was at one location and had just gone to two locations, if I remember correctly. That's right. Yeah, I think when we spoke, we had just opened our second location, which is pretty incredible to think that now we've got 23 brick and mortar locations in since that four time. years, dude. Wow. So obviously, I want to dive into that, how you scaled sure. that, uh, how you kept the culture strong during that scaling, the key things that you had to do to be able to scale like that. Um, when did that all start to happen? You know, I think uh, it was always sort of part of the intention to scale it up as quickly as we could. We have a really, really incredible visionary uh, CEO and chair of the board. Uh, her name is Gina Champion Kane. Uh, honestly, I it's amazing. The one thing I always tell people about her is that you have to almost remind yourself and remind other people that she's not some kind of superhero, that she eats and sleeps and breathes just <laughs> like all the rest of us. Because what she... You know, her vision for the future and her passion is so infectious uh, and, and sort of um, her leadership of our group is just so inspiring uh, that really from day one, the plan was always to kind of take this thing as far as we could uh, to reach as many people as we could. Um, and I think personally, I'm super proud that we employ so many people. I think it's such an amazing thing that so many people uh, are living their dream, uh, are you know, being able to support their families and be able to go on vacation and do all these amazing fun things that are such a you know integral part of their life. And, and we can sort of be a part of providing them the opportunity to do that as as part of being a member of one of our teams. So I think that's super amazing. Yeah, man, that's awesome. Uh, do we do we share a success core mantra? We didn't. Do you want to do that? Oh, my God. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I can't believe I almost forgot. I was listening to you right. talk and, uh, and uh, I was trying to re- reflect it back to the mantra that you shared. And I was like, wait a second. He didn't. So I'm not even going to edit this. I'm just going to, you know, point out that I'm an idiot and forgot to ask. And just, yeah. Uh, do you want to finish your train of thought and then we'll go back to the mantra? No, let's do the mantra right now. All right. Let's, 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 let's do the mantra. Go for it, dude. Great, great. So my uh, success quote or mantra is actually something that I don't even know really where it came from. I must have read it somewhere along the way. And as part of a practice, I'm always sort of keeping track of different quotes or mantras or things that I read that for some reason speak to me or maybe might speak to me down the line uh, and show up later in life as being important to me. And for whatever reason, this particular quote, I wrote in the front of a notebook that I keep uh, that I sketch out uh, ideas and notes and kind of becomes a bit of an inspiration book for me. And so it's sitting there right in the front of this notebook. And it is start where you are, use what you have, do what you can. It will be enough. 
And for whatever reason, that quote has come into place so many times in my life when I just need a little bit of pickup or inspiration, or I'm feeling overwhelmed. And I just love that it's, it speaks to the, you know, being in action that wherever you want to go, it's, it's there, it's available. The first thing and the first step to getting there is just getting an action, figuring out what step one is, jump into it, put your, all your passion and your thoughts into it and explore it. And really that anything is possible. My, my yoga teacher always tells me that when I'm trying to hit some crazy pose that I've been working on for months, that whatever that pose is, it's inside you. It's not impossible. So just keep at it. Anything's possible and bring it out through careful practice and attention to detail. So I I love that quote. That one's hitting close to home right now because I'm recently trying to get back into doing yoga and it's in, it's discouraging, (laughs) (laughs) but uh, yeah, I'm right there with you. And I love what I love about that. uh, That quote is just that, you know, sometimes I feel like we're so ambitious in this industry and we have massive visions and it seems so daunting, but all we need to do is just start and just do what we can right now. And every day, if we just do a little bit at a time and do what we can, we'll start chipping away and we'll get there. Uh, but you just got to start, you know, and you just got to pull the trigger and just start working towards it. And it doesn't happen overnight, but it can definitely happen. So great way to kind of get this thing started. We already kind of started without it. Um, and there was some irony in the fact that I said I was getting better as an interviewer and, and I told her <laughs> to like, oh, whatever. But uh, all right. So you were the GM. Uh, for the two patio groups, and uh, she had you, you, what was her name again? The woman, the, the visionary behind this, uh, Gina Champion Kane. So Gina has this grand vision of getting you guys uh, and growing and, and, and impacting as many lives as possible. How'd you go about doing that? So from two locations, when did you go to the three locations, and how how fast were you scaling this thing? Uh, I think in the first couple of years, it was almost every six months something new was was coming online. Um, and really Gina has an incredible network. Um, so we were able to add some amazing talented individual pieces along the way, uh, to help grow, um, grow sort of the the restaurant uh, side of things, uh, aside from the real estate side of things. So she also is a real estate developer. That was sort of her, her background and why American national investments uh, started off in the first place. Um, but you know, it was really about the people. That's that's how we were able to scale this was to bring on people that had certain areas of expertise that uh, the initial sort of founders of, of the group, uh, as we used to meet back in this little restaurant property in uh, Pacific Beach, and there used to be about 10 or so of us around the table. And that quickly grew to a lot larger group of people that had uh, different areas of expertise that we identified as, as being those which we needed to help grow our group. Um, and built a tremendous infrastructure. Even our infrastructure as it exists today is probably uh, far beyond uh, most restaurant groups. I mean, Gina's belief was that uh, nobody loves our brands as much as we do. So if we can bring as many of the the different disciplines in-house and really inspire people and bring them into our culture and have them enhance our culture, uh, then that'll allow us to grow quickly. So we brought in-house you know, uh, human resources. We have a marketing team. We have a creative team. We've got an IT team. We've got a huge accounting team. So all these people have contributed contributed to our ability to grow and scale this thing Man. simply by being part of the family and drinking the Kool-Aid as it were, and just loving being a part of this growth. And, and it's been tremendous to watch it all happen. Dude, I love this story. And the reason why I love it is because, uh, you know, I feel like a lot of people in this industry never really grow because they're they try to do it all and they they try to control everything and, and they feel like they got to be a one stop shop with all these skills and, and assets and, and try to run the show by themselves. 
But the more I study these successful people, the more I realize the reason why they're successful is because they know they can't do it all. And they're willing to to give up control and trust that, you know, if I, if I find other people who are specialists and who are incredible where, where I don't quite have those skills and we get on the same page, we get the same vision, we get the same values and we pull in the same direction. We together as a family with different people, all having their own lane can take this thing much further, much deeper, much bigger than I could ever do by myself. And that's what I'm hearing from the story. I think Gina gets that. I think that, you know, she knows that her verticals in, in the, uh, the real estate, uh, and she knew that she needed other specialists around here to really move this thing and take it to the next level. Um, that's so smart. Do you want to, re- I mean, am I, am I aligned with what you're saying? Do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And uh, certainly one of the things I've, I talk about as well in terms of the mix of people that we have and the culture that we have, first of all, it's a, it's a family culture. Everyone's sort of, um, takes care of each other, looks out for each other. There's a lot of open, honest, transparent communication, which is so critical. Great idea sharing that goes on. I mean, we really, uh, you know, put ourselves in a position as often as possible to be generating really great ideas that are super impactful. Uh, but I think just in terms of the mix of people that sometimes uh, the people that Gina brought in or that we uh, chose to be a part of this this group came from sort of non-traditional backgrounds. There was just something intangible about them. Maybe it was a past relationship that Gina had or just a feeling that we had as part of the interview process and just almost looking for outliers in terms of these people um, to bring in uh, to the group that sometimes uh, makes things difficult, uh, but more often than not, it's just amazing to tap into these different thought processes and different backgrounds, different ages. So we've got young people that are fresh out of college that are super creative working in our creative department in their mid twenties to late twenties. We've got people that have 20, 30 years experience uh, that are older, that have just these amazing life experiences, amazing business experiences to tap into. And so when you've got this sort of crazy dichotomy of people uh, with different backgrounds, different experiences, um, it's amazing to be able to tap into that. It's just such an energy walking into the office. It's just, it's so palpable. And I think that's a key thing. You have to be open to tapping into it. I think so many times people don't open up the gateways into the potential of these people that they surround themselves with and they just give orders, right? When you surround yourself with these people, make it a two way street, uh, let them give, you know what they have, like let them contribute. You don't, you never know what unique skills, what incredible uh, habits or whatever it is, uh, just energy that they have that they can contribute to the cause. So be open to it. Um, you mentioned something that I want to go deeper into is the idea of uh, just good communication and you guys have good communications. And that's a big contributor to your success. What does that look like? How do you guys, I mean, is it a culture of good, good communication? Are there systems around communicating? Uh, what does that look like? Great question. I think, I mean, certainly there are systems in place that allow us to communicate. Um, I think those are sort of the traditional systems that you might find within any organization. Uh, but I think it's really just a cultural thing. It's really... Uh, whether people have been with us since day one, uh, to, uh, to which there are many that have been throughout this entire journey with us, or someone that's just joined our team, there's always this culture of sharing ideas and being open and feeling comfortable doing that no matter what the setting is so that everyone has a voice. Um, and we want to hear 
from everybody. Uh, so there's always this buy-in and alignment amongst the group that's you know tremendously important. And that it really, and I think I said this on your last podcast too, was that it really doesn't matter whose idea it is. It just matters what the strength of the idea mm. is. And let's let's run with the best ideas. Uh, because that's that's been you know the hallmark of our success, and yeah. it doesn't really matter where those ideas come from. Yeah, that's a line. I don't know if it's the, it's verbatim, but it's a a concept, a a thought straight from the book of the Great Game of Business with Bo, Bo Burlingham and Jack Stack. Of we have all these incredible people on our team, from the CEO to the janitor, and everybody's ideas are equally as powerful and be open to them because you're you're not tapping into the to the potential of your team. Um, so, so I think to kind of summarize uh, what makes you guys so good at communicating is that culture of if you think of something, if you have something con- to contribute, then by all means, share it and don't discourage when somebody maybe has a bad idea or whatever. But that culture of if it's on your mind, get it out. Like we're, we're receptive to whatever you have to share. Sure. And if you have, if you've got a question, ask it, you know, that's, that's a big, big part of it too, is that we need to be aligned with what it is that we're doing. What's, what's our vision? Where are we going? And if you need clarification on that, or if there's a specific task that you're working on that you just need to understand better, then put up your hand and ask. That's, that's another big thing we always talk about is that, you know, we're all here to help and support. And so if there's something that's not clear or you need help, please, you know, be open be humble about it and provide you whatever you need to be successful. Awesome. So we've been kind of at like 30,000 feet up to this point, really like aerial uh, looking at where you were and where you are now. Um, I kind of want to get a little granular and get specific about how, how you knew you were ready to scale from one location to two locations and then another location every six months. Like what key things had to be put in place, what things weren't in place and then you put into place once you quickly realize we need this. You know what I'm saying? Like can you get specific and give some uh some examples of what that growth looked like, what things you built as you started to grow? Yeah, that's a great question. Um I don't know. I mean you have you have this grand vision that's laid out from Gina's standpoint about where we want to go and we're, we're all bought into it. I don't know if you ever really know if you're ready. I think, I think a big part of it is just uh, stepping up to the plate with whatever that next opportunity or next challenge is and really being open to it. Um, and I think the other thing that we've done pretty well is whenever we jump into a new opportunity, we do so with best laid plans, but we're also super open to shifting and evolving on the fly, no matter what part of the development process we're in, or perhaps we're in operation of a, a new restaurant or cafe, uh, sort of always asking questions about how we can be better and how we can better serve our guests, how we can better um, provide culture and the right atmosphere and tools for our employees. And so always sort of seeking out every opportunity to evolve and change and meet the growing demands of uh, the, the market, our uh, consumers, the user experience, our employees, just always leaving no stone unturned in terms of looking for opportunities to be better. So what, what does it look like? One of the things you mentioned is that you know, making sure we have the right tools for our employees. And I agree with you. Uh, before you can scale, before you can really take things to the next level, you got to empower your team with the culture, with the knowledge, but also with the resources and the tools, the systems, the processes, the procedures, the technologies to do their job well. So what things did you implement? What systems did you implement? Uh, can you get specific in that regard? Sure. Um, I think, I think that, uh, through bringing in 
uh, some amazing people from outside our organization. We were able to tap into some amazing experiences and practices from a system standpoint. And so um, providing the right kind of systems that put people in a position to uh, serve the guests in the best way, but still at the same time, allow uh, for some sort of uh, personalization and sort of ad hoc approach to them so that our systems are there for uh, us to obviously be profitable and for us to provide a high level of service uh, in terms of the day-to-day operations of the restaurants, but at the same time, uh, aren't restrictive uh, in the way that um, they're robotic. Uh, and so we really want people to be able to evaluate what's going on in the moment uh, in the restaurants uh, from a number of different standpoints, uh, but really ultimately with the goal of providing really amazing experiences for people. And I think to do that, there, there are uh, sort of foundational systems that put you in the best position to do that. But really, ultimately, it's a matter of training people and empowering them and inspiring them to act in the moment uh, really sort of organically and authentically uh, that's a big part of what an experience is like in one of the patio restaurants. Okay. Um, so you don't want to remove the human element, but you want to systematize things. You want to create order for consistency and accuracy. Uh, so what types, can you get specific what, what certain things that or ways you've done things uh, that you can share with something we could copy in our own business, uh, something that you can share with us specifically? Sure. Um, why don't we start with, uh, that's a good question. Um, pushing here, man. I'm, I'm digging. I deep. know. I know. You see, uh, most of the work that I do is on the development side. So we have an operational team that handles the day to day. Um, so I'm trying to think of a relevant, uh, system that we've put into place recently. Um, what about, uh, like systems for feedback in terms of, getting guest feedback and how to make it actionable. Yeah. The last uh, time you were on the show, you were leveraging, I believe uh, hum. Is that still something that you're using today? We are not using hum actually today uh, in the restaurants, uh, but I'm, do we, they still exist? I'm curious about them because I, I thought that was a really know. cool tool. Uh, I thought so too. Yeah. So what are you using today to get that, that guest feedback? We've got a, a great system in place um, where we're getting guest feedback uh, in a number of different ways, but I think it's really the actionable side of things. So we've got this great system that we've just started implementing in some of our restaurants uh, where those that specific guest feedback becomes part of our weekly management meetings and, and is something that's incredibly important. In fact, we start out with it, discussing the feedback and turning it into actionable items that become part of that management meeting and exist beyond that in terms of how we can improve the guest experience and really asking the right questions, not only in terms of the feedback that we're getting from them, but also in the dialogue that we're having with them um, that allow us to better tap into what their needs are and understand how we can meet them in uh, new and unique ways. So how do you implement these things as they start coming up, as you start identifying them? We look to evolve and shift uh, how we approach the operations of the restaurants in terms of how we're serving people. Uh, we look to evolve uh, our offerings. Um, so let me give, maybe give you a more specific example. Um, in one of our uh, corporate hospitality properties uh, and the brand that uh, exists in that realm is called the patio marketplace. So a derivative of the patio brand, but just existing in a little bit of a different setting, which I'd love to get in, into 
uh, a little bit more in depth with you later on as well. Uh, but it's a non-traditional restaurant setting, meaning that the Patio Marketplace brand uh, exists within large corporate campuses. Uh, it exists within a, a hotel setting. So different from our uh, traditional restaurants, which are very neighborhood-centric and brick-and-mortar standalone properties. And so understanding the demographic and getting direct guest feedback is so incredibly important because it's a different realm and different market that we're used to operating in. So one of the things we've learned recently is that um, the guests are incredibly time-sensitive and incredibly price-sensitive because... It's not a traditional restaurant um, experience in the sense that they're coming in on a Saturday night for three hours and it's an experience. Maybe it's a birthday party or a get-together. And so we really have to be in tune and be able to be uh, active in getting guest feedback to help tailor our approach as it relates to offerings and pricing so that we're hitting that sweet spot for people so that they can be you know, um, it's a lifestyle piece. So they can come in two or three times a week, be able to grab lunch, answer some emails and be able to get back to work. Yeah. Uh, and so getting that feedback on what that looks like for them uh, is so incredibly important. Obviously, we, ha- we did a lot of research and we sort of put our best foot forward as it related to what we thought uh, our offerings and price point and experience might look like. But as we begin to understand uh, more in depth directly <laughs> from our consumer base, what what the user experience is uh, in terms of fitting into their lifestyle, it's then beholden on us to make those into actionable items that we can start shifting what our offerings look like, what our price point might look like, what the speed of service might look like to better meet their needs. Okay. I just want to point out that Lucas is being a great sport right now because uh, he originally came (laughs) back on the show to talk about exactly what we're getting into right now. Uh, But I just find it so fascinating that you've been able to do what you've done in the past four years. I started getting greedy with my curiosity because I want to try to get some some bonus material out of him for for you guys listening at home. One more, I want to dive deep into this, and we'll pick up on where we left off with the whole using, uh, you know, collecting guest data and and getting that feedback to make decisions in these different verticals. One more thing I want to, I'm really curious about before we really dive deep into this topic. Um, how do you how do you scale culture? And I think that's where most restaurants fail when they try to scale. Uh, they have something truly special in the early days, two, three locations, and everybody's on board. Everybody's pulling in the same direction. Everybody knows the the, the mission, the, the values, and everybody lives them. And it's like incredible, life-changing, life-altering, transformative shit, right? Good stuff. The, the good stuff. How do you keep that going with like 30 locations? Like how, how do you how do you have that same impact? I mean, you might have a, a further reach, you might be touching more lives, but are you really like impacting people like you personally? Are you still impacting people at the same level you were impacting them when you were a, a D a DO working with fewer people and having a more like like how do you do that? Like I'm sure you you are, but like how? How do you do that? I think one of the most important things to realize is that the culture is going to change. It's going to happen organically by adding more people to the mix. And that is actually a super positive thing. It's not something to be feared that your culture, just like any culture, I mean, culture is, it's a word that we use in this business sense, but I mean, culturally they're out in the world. There are cultures that shift and change as populations grow and people evolve and new ideas come in. So don't be afraid of that. Your culture changing, shifting and growing is actually a tremendously positive thing. And you want that. I think the other thing is that, um, 
in order for you to have a strong culture, you need people that are highly motivated. And so I think you really need to understand what motivates people. You have to uh, make that a part of so many aspects of business, whether it's through recruitment or your hiring process, or once you get people in the door, understanding what motivates them and how to motivate them is incredibly important. You know, you know the next question then, Lucas, don't you? I think so. How to, how to motivate people? <laughs> yeah, what motivates people? <laughs> I See, I believe that people are motivated by three things. I think that people are motivated by having something at stake. Uh, and that can uh, that can appear and show up in many different forms, um, whether it's literally having something at stake with the company um, uh, by having an ownership stake or equity in some way, uh, by having something at stake from a career standpoint. They've got some next obvious you know uh, rung on the ladder that they're reaching for, uh, or you know maybe uh, it's okay too for people to have. Um, ideas outside of even working for your organization that, Hey, I, I, I want to be here for a year. I want to soak up as much of I, as I can. And I want to go and open up my own business, having something at stake and understanding and knowing what those things are is really important. Yeah. I also think that uh, providing people with an opportunity to learn is really important. And that's something that Gina has been an incredible champion of um, is providing people the opportunity to learn outside of the work that they're doing. We always encourage people and in fact, look for people that have interests outside of the role and responsibility and work that they're doing for us. And we think that that's tremendously important and we want to encourage that. And then I think honestly, the third and most important factor is are people having fun? Is it fun to work in your organization? Um, do they have fun day to day? Are there events that go on as part of our culture that are, are exciting to be a part of? You know, are there picnics and barbecues and potlucks? And we always try and do those things. Is the office a fun setting to work in? You know, we can, we have a great office. And I think one of the things that's amazing about it is it's incredibly dog friendly. So people can bring their dog to work, which is a huge perk and gives our office kind of a unique energy. But I think it's really important to, to be sure that people are having fun and they're enjoying what they're doing. Yeah. I think you're, you're hitting on a lot of key things right there. And uh, really at the end of the day, what motivates people is anything that helps them survive. But nowadays when it's really kind of easy to survive, to get your most basic needs like food, shelter and security, uh, once you hit those most basic needs, which is where most restaurant tours stop, making sure those, those basic needs are being met with a paycheck, you got to tap into those, higher needs where people want to thrive. Uh, they, first, they want to survive, then they want to thrive. And that's all the stuff that you're talking about being, you know, the, the cultural, like uh, belonging in feeling like they're growing and learning and developing and contributing. And all those things uh, are where people really thrive. So focus on those. And uh, Chip Connolly has a book out there, Peak, which is like a must read for anybody in, in this industry who, want, who wants to learn how to tap into those those higher needs and the, those those needs for people that you know, the, the motivational stuff. So I think we're, we've done good. I got enough bonus content out of you today. Uh, you've been a great sport. Thank you so much uh, for that. But let's <laughs> move in. Let's move into the, 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 the major topic, which is kind of, um, where you, what, where you specialize now is, uh, in these verticals, right? These, these different, uh, non-traditional locations. So let's kind of start from scratch there. Uh, but first let's take a quick break to thank our sponsors. To be unstoppable, most restaurants require a little extra capital from time to time. It happens, right? Uh, when you need funding to like renovate or buy equipment or manage cash flow, you don't have time to just 
track down financial statements or wait weeks for a decision. And that is where Cabbage can help. Cabbage gives small businesses access to a line of credit of up to $150,000. And if you apply online, you'll get a decision right away, which is pretty awesome. Since Cabbage is a line of credit, you can take the exact amount you need. You'll never have to reapply to take out additional loans, and you only pay for the funds you use. Yeah, you're impressed, and I haven't even gotten to the impressive part. Cabbage has helped more than 130,000 businesses from every industry with over $4 billion in funding. Like, awesome. Cabbage is A-plus rated by the Better Business Bureau and was named a Forbes Top 100 company not once, but twice. Check out Cabbage at Cabbage with a K dot com slash restaurant unstoppable and you'll get a $50 gift card when you qualify. That's Cabbage, K-A-B-B-A-G-E dot com slash restaurant unstoppable. Line of credit is subject to credit approval. See terms and conditions. All Cabbage business loans are issued by Celtic Bank, a Utah chartered industrial bank member FDIC. Everyone loves processing invoice after invoice. It's the best. (laughs) Not really. Just the sight of a filing cabinet is enough to make you sick, right? It doesn't have to be that way. With Sorcery, there's no more manually processing invoices by hand and no more cutting check after check. With Sorcery, you can organize all of your accounts digitally, scan your invoices, and pay your vendors with just one click. It is easy. Sorcery offers fully managed accounts and statements reconciliation, so you no longer spend hours on the phone with your vendors and banks that stinks. You now have the peace of mind knowing your accounts are being taken care of, and you can get back to work doing what you love, running unstoppable restaurants. Go to GetSorcery.com, that's G-E-T-S-O-U-R-C-E-R-Y.com, or call one 6683006691 mention restaurant unstoppable and receive 10% off your first 3 months and say goodbye to your old filing cabinet and hello to the digital world with sorcery ap automation we're back so why is this a great opportunity to be a great opportunity to be focusing on these non traditional locations give me some examples of those too sure um, so i think I think really where it started was through some of the relationships that we built uh, on the real estate side of our business. So uh, American National Investments, real estate development company, we've got this hospitality company now building momentum, you know, some strength in brand, uh, you know, across California. And what we started noticing was there was this need from the standpoint of these large real estate development companies uh, that have major holdings uh, in sort of non-traditional restaurant settings. Uh, Typically, you know, they may have several hundred thousand square feet of uh, office space in a large tower, uh, maybe a corporate campus. Uh, We do some work in the hotel world as well. Uh, But really, the opportunity stemmed from this I guess at this point, a movement, it's not even really a trend at this point. It's, it's gained enough momentum to become kind of a movement. And that is um, a derivative of what we've sort of all seen out in the media of these crazy workplaces, whether it's Google or Facebook or Amazon that have, you know, back to this cultural piece of providing these amazing amenitized uh, workplaces uh, 
um, in terms of their effort to recruit and retain the most amazing people that allow them to do all this amazing, innovative work that they do. And so we saw and we were constantly engaged in dialogue with people that were describing this need where, you know, you can't just have a vending machine or a coffee cart or a crappy cafeteria in the basement of your office tower or corporate campus. Hearings don't cut it anymore. Right. You've got to have, (laughs) you've got to have a kick ass restaurant that people want to go to and people want to hang out in. And it's got to have that restaurant vibe. And so the challenge was like, how do you create that? How do you bring in a group like us that understands how to build and create these restaurants in these neighborhoods that have amazing vibes. How do we recreate that in a non-traditional restaurant setting? And so that was the challenge. And so uh, we've currently got three of them uh, operating. Uh, We've got a couple more on the way branching out beyond San Diego. We've got three operating in the San Diego market. We've got two more coming online uh, in this year at the end of uh, 2018 up in Orange County. Um, and so that was the challenge that we set out to meet and we built a great group of a small group of people to go out and, and do just that. So why we kind of tapped a little bit into why these amenities are so important because these, uh, these corporations are really trying to create the culture within their, their businesses. And by, by providing these restaurants, by going above and beyond with these incredible amenities within their corporation, uh, they're kind of, you know, standing out against their competitors. Is there any other thing going on there that is kind of significant to these operations? And, And like, what else is going on there that makes them so important? I think the other thing that you've got going on is that in all the cases that we have current operating patio marketplace locations in these corporate settings and all the ones that we're developing and, and talking about and contemplating for the future, they're all part of these office towers or corporate campuses where there's multiple tenants. And I think what we're really starting to see is not only these restaurants providing the obvious, which is a great latte and you know muffin or cookie in the morning on your way to work and a place to stop for lunch midday but they are they are these community gathering places that provide a network for multiple tenants uh, in many cases great innovative companies to be together and share ideas uh, and so we we encourage that in our design. Uh, we encourage that in the different types of ways we activate the space uh, after hours with great happy hour programs, um, you know, providing opportunities for different networking events. Uh, those are the obvious ones, but product launches, uh, providing opportunities for people that have side gigs, which is something we're seeing. You know, people have different entrepreneurial interests beyond what they're doing and they want almost almost a place like a WeWork or a co-working type space, uh, but it's free. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's, it's a restaurant space. So we build PDRs, we build, you know, small meeting rooms, we build great outdoor spaces that provide the opportunity for people to engage with the space and really build this sense of community, which I think is what is creating that spirit, brick and mortar Um, neighborhood restaurants, just building it in a different way that serves the tenant mix 
and that community, which is still a community, but it's just a different type of community with different needs. Yeah. And you just hit on it right there. And I wrote this down. I was wondering if you're going to go here because this is the point that I want to make. I really think that there is a starvation for a sense of community in in our day to day lives. Uh, we There isn't that communal sense anymore. I just I'm 32 years old. I can remember going back uh, in living like being in my parents restaurant uh, where it was a small mom and pop place. And that's where everybody gathered every weekend, every morning to, to talk, to, to share what's going on in the community. And there really isn't a place in that in most like that in most communities. We're such a transactional society today. It's all about just like, give me what I want. Here's the money and I'm, I'm out of here. We don't really know the people in our community like we used to. And here's proof. And, and I'm going to ask you and all the people out here listening to this. Do you know everybody that is on either side of your house, all four of your neighbors on your right, on your left, in front of you and in the back of you. Most people can't say that they know everybody really well. And how crazy is that? These are the people that live feet like a hundred feet away from you and you don't know them well. And there's a serious void of community in society today, but we can, we, we can go someplace else to get that sense of community. And it sounds like these big corporations are trying to, to develop that sense of community that's void in today's society within their four walls. And if you can create a gathering space for these people to get that sense of community that's so that we're so starved of today, but you can you can give that sense of community within those four walls at work. That's that's something cool, and and that's a human need that we don't really have that sense of belonging that we're starved of. And I'm going on speaking way too much right now, but you know, I mean, I, I think we we both kind of hit on that same thing, and, and I think that that's a real uh, almost epidemic, and, and I think people are capitalizing that on that within these corporations. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I'll go to the coffee shop in the morning to work. Uh, and most people around, they've got their ear, earbuds in and they're, they're doing their thing, which is great. Uh, but we, we're striving to create a different type of uh, community. And that's a community of, of sharing and, and uh, people wanting to be together. And, and that's really... It's, it's when we talk about designing these spaces, the, the uh, mantra we use is like, how do we design a space that people want to be? Because it's so easy in these settings uh, to come in and out, grab your coffee, head to your desk. You know, but what about instead of grabbing your coffee and heading to your desk, what if you grabbed your coffee and, and you know, popped outside for a few minutes and met with a few other people and ca- caught up with what they're working on? Or maybe instead of taking your first meeting in your office or the boardroom upstairs, why not have it outside and you know, have a great juice and kind of feel revitalized and, and share the space with other people, you know? So we we're constantly looking for opportunities to build that sense of community, not only once we're operating from how we activate the space, but also from a design perspective. And that's the question we ask ourselves is like, is this a place that people want to be? Do they want to hang out here? Is it comfortable? Mm. So how, if somebody's listening to this and, um, they're thinking, well, maybe that's an angle. Maybe I can go to some of the corporations within my community uh, and see if I can't build a concept within those four walls. Uh, how do we go about doing that? Uh, I mean, what are first of all, what are the benefits to doing that? I think there's a lot of benefits that we really haven't tapped on, like overhead and you know, like costs and things like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you asked about that. These these particular opportunities are 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 different than a traditional restaurant because 
in many cases, the real estate development companies are footing the bill for the build out uh, or providing uh, some benefits ongoing as it relates to operating these spaces uh, from a from a financial p l standpoint that are are amazing. Uh, because the need for these amenities is so strong and there's so few people that are in this emerging market uh, that um, the, the benefits to, to building them and operating them are significant. And so um, I think, you know, in terms of your listening audience, I'm sure that if you are a budding entrepreneur or you have uh, a coffee shop or a coffee roasting company or anything like that, it is definitely worthwhile uh, doing an exploration of your neighborhood, your community, and finding out who operates these uh, corporate campuses, office buildings, whatever it might be, and go in and talk to them. Maybe there's an opportunity for you to bring your business to that setting. They have, or excuse me, you have what they need. You've got the expertise to operate these businesses, and you've got the spirit and ethos of these amazing neighborhood spaces, or maybe you've got a great idea, you're a sous chef somewhere or an executive chef, and you want to break out on your own, you want to do your own thing. I think there's still a tremendous opportunity in this space for young people to dive into it and contribute to it. And you know, it's funny because I just, I feel, I feel like a lot of chefs who are trying to break from their restaurant group to, to go do their own thing. They go to the, the, the vertical of, uh, catering, catering because of the, the little overhead and you make good cash. There's lots of good cash flow there, but they underestimate how challenging catering is. Uh, and you know, but the only reason why they go that route is because of the, the little amount of overhead that's involved to get started. But this is another vertical that where, you know, if you're a talented chef, uh, who has the leadership skills and the, the management skills and the business skills you picked up from working under these incredible restaurateurs, this is a great low cost way to, to, to break out and to do your own thing. Um, but one question I have for you, how do you identify the, co- the corporations and, and the locations and the companies that are, I guess, capable of supporting something like this and willing? You know, for us, uh, it was pretty easy because they came to us. Uh, we, we actually, at this point, we're, we're about 18 months, two years into really diving into this, this particular vertical. And we still haven't uh, or we are just kind of going out to market and actually selling what we do. Um, so the need was so strong that people came to us. But I think if you're somebody else out there that wants to explore this world, um, I think it's really just a matter of doing the research, getting out there, hitting the ground, um, and finding out who owns and operates the different corporate campuses and office buildings that are in markets that you might want to be a part of or are close to you. So. So, so what are the things that are unique in this, in this approach uh, that we should consider that we might not otherwise have considered because it's so just unique in, in its nature? Mm-hmm. I think I understand the question. Let me, let me answer it this way. Um, the, these opportunities just by nature of the consumers uh, are tremendously different from a typical restaurant, brick and mortar type restaurant. And one of the biggest aspects and one of the bigger advantages as well uh, to, I think, make people aware of is that uh, your, your consumer base is Monday to Friday, nine to five for the most part. Now we do have after work uh, type activations that I was describing before that kind of carry those hours a little bit, but you've got 
essentially uh, weekday nights and weekends free to do whatever you want. And so from I think our you just sold me on that. <laughs> <laughs> Keep going. Um, from a business standpoint, what's super cool about that is that now we've got these great spaces built out and we can do events in the evenings and on the weekends, which is the time when everyone wants to have events. So you've got this amazing pop restaurant. Pop-ups too. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah man. Absolutely. And uh, that's a great way to maybe test certain concepts that you want to use to break out. Once you get this cash flow going, uh, you can test some, some concepts to see maybe I can do this in a more traditional setting. Um, what are some of the other things that, like, that we would encounter in this experience of opening a restaurant within the four walls of a corporation that we wouldn't otherwise encounter if we didn't the, the traditional route? I think one of the other uh, key differentiators here is that you've got this corporate partner as well. So you've got the strength of these real estate development companies being your partner. And in, in effect, they're your client in some ways because obviously um, they want to make sure that the amenity is operating at a high level and active in the space providing a great user experience. So they're invested in that in the same way that you are, because obviously you're operating this restaurant, you want the user experience to be second to none. Um, and so you have this partner that is there to help from a marketing standpoint. They've probably got some marketing dollars and marketing reach that they could help support. They've got some PR reach uh, to help you know, with opening and making sure that they're getting the word out and the awareness of, of your brand and your concept and what your business is all about. And so you've got that um, in, in your back pocket, which most, uh, people starting uh, a new venture don't have, particularly if they're smaller, they're, they're just starting out. They wouldn't have that resource to leverage into. Uh, and we, even with our, uh, infrastructure leverage into that all the time. And we, we work very closely with our partners to make sure, uh, that their vision for the property is being executed and that, uh, we, uh, are making sure that we're serving their tenant mix at the level that we all want. Is there anything we haven't discussed up to this point? Uh, any area that you think you can provide a little more insight or value for my listeners? Great question. Um, I don't know. Nothing comes to mind for me uh, on that subject. Yeah, I guess one question I do have is if somebody <laughs> sure. like take us real quick through the order of operation. Uh, if somebody's listening to this and they think to themselves, this is a great idea. I want to, I want to start looking more into this. Where do you start? Um, I think, I think you've got to, you've got to start out with a great idea. Um, and so, you know, make sure before you go out there and you're talking with uh, these potential uh, partners, these real estate development groups that are all uh, very savvy um, and very, um, uh, you know, they're, they're looking for, for unique and great ideas, I think is the, the bottom line. So um, make sure that your idea is well vetted and uh, make sure that uh, you communicate it in a way that uh, helps to meet uh, the needs that they have, which is creating the sense of community, uh, providing an activated space. Uh, and providing a great uh, back to my original point about and your joke about the Keurig that the the offerings and the experience have to be on par with a restaurant experience. Uh, that is what is the sort of uh, barrier of entry, if you will, that 
allows you to unlock all these other amazing uh, aspects of these opportunities is that the product has to be good. The execution has to be good. And so um, people that are chefs or GMs and they've been doing this for years, the skill set that you have is the one that they need. And so get your idea together, uh, present it in a, in a unique way. And uh, I think you'll find success. What are some of the unique things that you and your group are doing to create that restaurant experience within this within this building? How do you create that experience? Mm-hmm. Um, I think first and foremost, it starts again with great people. Uh, we've got an amazing coffee guru that handles that essential part of having, you know, that coffee experience in the morning. Uh, I don't know anyone that lives or breathes or knows more about coffee and how to prepare and serve coffee more than Meg, who is our amazing coffee guru. Uh, she's been provided with whatever uh, tools and equipment she needs to uh, be that coffee ninja that's pouring uh, or extracting the best espresso and making the best lattes and training all of our people to be just as passionate, passionate as she is. We've got an amazing chef uh, that, again, has all the tools he needs to succeed and is able to create the menu uh, that he wants, uh, that he sort of speaks to his uh, ethos and passion for uh, creating amazing food in these sort of different settings. And so I think it's really about uh, tapping into that skill set and that passion uh, that allows us to provide amazing offerings for people when they come in the space and provide an amazing user experience too. We've got um, some people that are obsessed with uh, providing a high level of service because remember as well, in these settings, traditionally there's not a high level of service. Yeah. I think it's just a matter of mindset, right? Like you can't approach this situation, this opportunity with the mindset of I'm going to create a, a cafe, like a, a, you know, a work, a work. I don't know how the, the words for it, but the traditional in-house uh, cafe at a, at a, a building, like I'm building a restaurant and mm-hmm. it, it, you're holding it to the same standards, the same expectations. Uh, it's going to be a, a restaurant within the four walls. What about, um, you don't, you're not doing reservations and things of that nature, are you? Are you? No, no, we don't. It's um, it's 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 interesting. the The pace at lunch uh, is it's it's busy. I mean, it's it, there are a significant amount of people that are coming in. It's a counter service so it's setup. Like, it's like fast casual almost. Yeah, okay. yeah, I'd say so. Uh, it's probably the best way to describe it, but still with such a keen attention to detail in terms of the presentation of the offerings from a food standpoint, from a beverage standpoint, and just seeking opportunities to provide a high level of service wherever possible, which is, I think, one of the things that gets missed most often in the counter service model is that hospitality component. Mm. How do you, how do you in a 45 second conversation with somebody who's in a hurry to get their lunch and get back to their office, how do you create a unique experience that's not just transactional, not just order credit card on your way? How do you find out who they are, where they work, why they're here, if they're coming back, what they loved? And those are the things that become a part of that system that I was talking to you about in terms of that that guest feedback. The download after a busy lunch with the staff is so important from a manager's general manager standpoint. What key pieces of information did you get today that can help 
us to be better. Now, is there a system that you, you have like at the end of a transaction or at the end of a uh, communication uh, opportunity? Uh, is there a question that you're asking? Or how do you open yourself up for this feedback? Are you just being receptive to it or are you engaging in actively seeking the feedback? It's, it's part of the dialogue and being receptive, uh, but also uh, we have an amazing director of operations who is, again, as I was saying, obsessed with user experience. And he follows up. This is such an important thing. He follows up on every single guest interaction possible. If somebody is leaving a review on Yelp, if he has, um, if we, we do online ordering and we're, we pull emails from all of our online ordering users who, uh, that's an amazing part of our business as well. That's huge in, in this. Uh, so people are able to, you know, place their order online. It's ready to pick up when they get there. And so he reaches out to all of the users on the online ordering platform to literally ask like, what can we do better? Did you enjoy your experience? Was there anything missing? Is there anything part of our offerings that you love to see show up in the future? And really just openly and organically uh, seeking feedback from people at every angle to allow us to evolve what it is that we're doing. Do you do the online ordering within the corporations? Like if I'm working at a corporation and I want to go get lunch and I want to go to the in-house restaurant, I can order from my phone in that in-house restaurant? Yeah, you can do it from anywhere. You can do it from your desk. You can do it from your phone. It's an amazing platform that works right through Square. So we use Square as our POS. It's got a great landing page. It's got product imagery, information, everything you need to be able to key in your online order. You can set it up to be ready in 20 minutes when you're hungry for lunch. You can set it up for tomorrow or next week. It's incredibly intuitive, incredibly creative in terms of its ability to meet the needs of, of the user. And we, we love it. It's, we, we do a tremendous amount of business in terms of the online ordering. So that uh, that feature for Square integrates with your POS system. Is there uh, or it, with your um, your website? Is it just a code that you you plug right into the website, or how how does that work? Is it a plugin? Yeah, it's a, it's a plugin. So they jump right from our website. There's an online ordering button. Clicks right over to the Square online ordering portal, and they they take over from there. And it's, it's incredibly easy. Do you, do you get to keep your branding when it, they go over to the the Square portal, or does it just Square at that point? No, you do. Yeah, it's it uh, for all intents and purposes from a user experience standpoint. You'd have to do a lot of digging to see anything Square related. It's it's all positioned from from our brand standpoint. Yeah. One other topic I want to get into uh, before you start to wrap it up. What about actual the, the physical space? Because uh, you're saying you get to treat this like a restaurant, as if it's an actual restaurant. So you got to have a kind of like a separation of brand, so people feel like they're leaving work. In going to a restaurant, so do you create walls? Uh, is there like a is it, do you have like a is there like a curb appeal when you're approaching like this this uh, this restaurant from within the, the the building to going into another building? How does that work? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, I think it's unique property by property, but I think one of one of the challenges we've had from a design and architectural standpoint that I think is unique is that the the restaurant itself has to integrate into the overall de- design aesthetic of the building or the campus. Um, but at the same time, our intention is for the space itself to be designed and 
and appointed in a way that creates a significant transition from office to restaurant setting, as you're describing, because mm-hmm. literally you've got to, you know, in one of our spaces, we've got people upstairs that are working for a biotech life science company that they're literally in lab coats, like curing cancer upstairs. And then they come downstairs and we've got to transition them from that setting into a completely different setting that puts them at ease. They can relax. They can be creative. They can enjoy their lunch, have a meeting, whatever it is. And so we've got to, the spaces themselves have got to be significantly different and there's got to be that transition. And so um, I think one of the ways that we do that is by, uh, and certainly a hallmark of the patio brand in its design is this open flowing indoor outdoor experience. And we have the amazing ability to take advantage of that in California uh, with the weather being so great, but just providing these sort of seamless transition from the cafe or the bar or the indoor seating area right into the outdoor space, which is typically quite open, pulling some of that vegetation inside the space, whether it's with living green walls uh, or just uh, the use of color palette and different furniture and fixturization pieces that are super natural. So how do you create this kind of like natural setting that almost in itself puts people at ease and, and helps with that transition from workspace or workplace to this restaurant setting uh, has been a great challenge. And we've got some amazing architects and designers that we work with that help us um, to achieve that end. So it sounds like the majority of your locations, these corporate locations are like corporate parks where they're, you're, you know, your, your actual, like the entry to, to your, your restaurant is outside going inside. Uh, and you have all these other like, like, uh, corporate, uh, buildings around you, but it's outside. Is that kind of what's happening here? Cause I'm from New Hampshire where like you go to a sure. corporate park and you might, you know, you might have this big building, uh, that is like the headquarters for some big corporation. And then I, I would imagine that you would put the restaurant within that building and it'd be like kind of like embedded within the cafeteria. Um, do you have any locations that are, that are like that? Um, yeah, I mean, our, our, we have a hotel location as well in downtown San Diego, uh, that is more like what you're describing. And what we're seeing too, in terms of this movement is that, uh, no longer, uh, is the cafeteria on basement level three in the dungeon as an afterthought. It's a part of the experience of being on the campus or in the building. So, uh, it's part of the lobby. It's adjacent to the lobby or may spill into the lobby space uh, and, and offer sort of a level of seamlessness from that standpoint as well. Um, and so our patio marketplace at the Hotel Republic in downtown San Diego has uh, a street side uh, entrance uh, where we have a patio outside, but is also adjacent to the lobby and is sort of part of a transition from the uh, lobby bar space into the cafe as well. So we, we have both. Uh, and I think really what you're seeing is that these restaurants are a part of the experience of being on that campus as a visitor uh, or working there every day. Awesome. Uh, this has been a really great conversation, Lucas. Thank you so much for reaching out to me uh, and suggesting this topic of discussion. Um, so there's nothing else you want to get out there before we, we call somebody out and wrap things up. I want to make sure that everything that was on your, your mind is out and shared today. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I hope it was uh, of interest to your listeners. Uh, I know it's definitely something that we're all super passionate about. Um, 
yeah, and thank you so much for having me on. It's great to be back for a second time. Uh, and I can't wait to be back for a third time four years from now and listen to this podcast backwards too. <laughs> well, man, you're you great. And uh, we wrap up every episode by calling somebody else. So who's one independent restaurant operator, somebody you admire uh, and think would make a great guest mentor on the show like you made for us today? Well, I think uh, the one thing I did want to say listening back to episode uh, 56 was, uh, have you been able to get David Chang on the podcast? I mean, oh, that was my suggestion last time. So. <laughs> I have not. I do. Th- I, I'm pretty sure I reached out to him. He's a busy guy. But you know what? I think that there's a certain serendipity of uh, the, these series of events because he just started his own podcast. Uh, and I think that now that he has his own podcast and he's probably trying to uh, promote that podcast and me being a fellow podcaster, I might have a better crack at getting him on the show and I actually wrote on my to-do list uh, which you know I think you had a huge influence on the whole power of working from a list if you don't write it down it doesn't happen is one thing you said from the past episode right, uh, right. I have on my list email David Chang um, and create a video saying why I would love to get him on the show so I can help promote his podcast so David Chang if you're listening to this man uh, I would love to get you on the show it would be an honor and uh, Lucas, thank you so much for coming back on the show, man. There, actually, before we say goodbye, uh, how can we connect? If we want to ask further questions, maybe come join your team, come learn under your, your restaurant group's tutelage. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, always posting fun stuff there. We can always engage uh, from that perspective uh, or uh, uh, online, AmericanNationalInvestments.com or ThePatioMarketplace.com if you want to see uh, our brand that exists in these uh corporate centers. Nice. This is episode 483. Head over to restaurantsunstoppable.com slash 483. I'll have the the summary of today's discussion over there. I'll link to any tools and services recommended over there. And again, Lucas, thank you so much for taking the time to, to share your knowledge. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. Thanks, Eric. Well, there you go. Another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Lucas Reeve, thank you for coming back on the show. And I love where we're getting with this podcast, where I've now published over 480 episodes with some incredible people. And it's so flattering to know that some of my guests are uh, listening to the show after we've connected and they're following and they're, they're, they're staying up with what's going on. And to have incredible restaurant minds like Lucas Reeve, uh, reach out to me and say, Hey, Eric, I, ha- I have some stuff I want to contribute. I've been following your podcast. It's going really well. And I, I feel like this is a great topic is the most flattering thing for me. Uh, it, it just really touches and warms my heart. So thank you for reaching out, Lucas. And thank you for uh, continuing, continually wanting to uh, contribute to the restaurant unstoppable resource. And I think the big lesson for me today is, or th- there's multiple lessons. I, f- I think we got a little, Lucky with our bonus content, uh, I wasn't really anticipating going as deep as we did with how the, how they've scaled uh, the patio uh, concept and some of the key things that they're doing in order to do that. I think that those key things, you know, you, you can never underestimate the significance of surrounding yourself with great people. And your culture is only going to be as good as the people you you bring on board. So you got to bring those motivated, passionate people on your team and have them influence. Th- you know, those around them. And it's just a matter of continually finding those like-minded people that are driven and passionate. And then you got to motivate them. And then he gave us some great advice on how to motivate, motivate our guests. And then the, the significance of just that 
uh, that culture of communication, that culture of we want to know what you're thinking. We want you to you we want you to contribute to this mission that we're creating, and you need to establish that culture. You need you need to make sure your people know that they can speak up, and that's up to you to let it be known. So let it be known in your restaurant. Tap into the potential of your people. It's so powerful. Then lastly, obviously, the the great advice on just some of the the different verticals you can get into. Uh, You don't have to open a brick and mortar. Uh, There's other ways you can get the ball rolling and prime the engine that will one day be your restaurant group or your, your multiple restaurants. Start where you can. There's very little overhead involved with this avenue that we went into today of going into a corporate office or another venue in uh, building a restaurant there and using other people's capital to make it happen, getting your brand out there, networking, uh, fine tuning your management and leadership skills. I mean, all that stuff will happen in this avenue that you can t- potentially take. So Lucas is a pretty open dude. Uh, contact information is in the show notes. Uh, if you have any questions, I'm sure he'll be willing to help you guys out and answer any questions. Uh, and uh, I guess, like always, guys, please do reach out to me, Eric at RestaurantUnstoppable.com. Tell me how I can make this show better. Tell me what content you want me to uh, dive into. Lucas had a really great idea. He asked me if I'd be open to doing uh, like panel interviews where I have multiple people on the show uh, fielding your questions. So if you guys like the way that sounds, shoot me emails with your questions, the challenges you're having. I have a massive network of restaurateurs in my back pocket. Literally, my phone is in my back pocket. Their names are in my phone. I'll find those people I think are best suited to answer your questions. We'll get them on the show. We'll do a roundtable. Guys, this is a great resource. You need to lever- You need to leverage it. I'm here for you. Um, take advantage of it. Uh, keep those five-star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher Radio coming. They really do help. The best thing you can do to support Restaurant Unstoppable is simply share it. Let's create a community of people striving to be better every day. Let's share knowledge. Let's lean on each other. The, the bigger we grow this thing, the more people that know about it, the more access to information I have, we have. So let's let's spread the word. Let's get people contributing and uh, let's become unstoppable as an industry. All right, let's do this. All right, guys, that's all for today. Thank you so much for sticking around this long. Until next time, peace out. <laughs>